Have you ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Or maybe what they use to keep their skin looking so flawless? Well, even if I don't know these answers, I can tell you something equally as interesting and unicorn related. Over 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support so you can grow beyond your wildest dreams, boosting leads and ramping sales along the way. They even have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. Plus, with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save up to 90% off your first year. I'll admit it does sound a little too good to be true. But unlike that majestic and also incredibly fictitious unicorn, HubSpot for startups is all real. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot and take your growth to new heights, visit HubSpot.com startups. Good morning, everyone. It's Wednesday, March 29th. I'm Mark Dent, and I am here with Rob Litterst, and you're listening to The Hustle Daily Show. Today, we're going to talk about Amazon and returns, something that nobody likes to do and yet something that we all do all the time. Well, Amazon has started to affix a label on their most returned items in order to try and cut back on some of those returns. So we're going to talk about that. But first, the news. Rob, what do you got for us? So the first thing that I'm looking at is Pepsi has a new logo. Yeah. Which it's their first new logo since 2008. So it's not like this is some crazy like ancient logo. But the biggest change here is that Pepsi is embracing the color black, which it's used for a little while on its zero sugar line. So they kind of like inverted or flipped the circular logo. And then in the middle is the word Pepsi and black lettering rather than white lettering. So I was thinking about this, Mark, because I don't know if you've been watching March Madness at all. I think you probably have. have. Yes. But these Coke Zero commercials with Lil Dicky and Travis Bennett, his co-star, and Dave have been literally everywhere. Yeah, all over. I feel like there's literally two of those commercials per commercial break. And so it seems like this is just kind of where soda has gone. It's all about being zero sugar now. I guess I have a few questions for you, Mark. Have you seen this logo and what do you think of it? And also, what do you think about zero sugar cola? Well, I think, first of all, the logo, I I don't like the decision to go with black. To me, it just, frankly, reeks of desperation and Mm -hmm. sort of like this marketing ploy. In the late 90s, everybody who did not have black as one of their main colors started to use the color black. I'm thinking of like the New York Mets. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking of Duke basketball. It was really big in sports for a while there. I mean, Pepsi's colors are blue and red and everybody can just throw in black if they want to. And that's why I just don't think it works. It's it's never original. It's what Pepsi does, right? Like you said, they changed their logo in 2008. They change it all the time. So it's what they do. They're not Coca-Cola in that regard. And zero sugar, I've never liked it personally. I do drink soda a decent amount, but it's never been for me. Me neither. You know, I would prefer sugar to the chemical sweeteners like stevia and aspartame. I feel like I can literally taste those immediately when I take a sip of whether it's soda or like an energy drink or whatever it might be. And it immediately ruins it for me. It's like a weird, just such a strange taste. You pointed it out. I think PepsiCo has kind of bigger moves here. I think they have a revenue motive and the company had an 8.7% net increase year over year in 2022, but it was mainly attributed to price increases. So I think they're probably just trying to drum up a little business here. Got to keep people excited, you know? Exactly. 
And the other thing that I'm looking at is some changes on Twitter. So this is interesting because it's kind of a change of a change. Y'all might be aware that Twitter launched a new For You page in January. It's basically inspired by TikTok. And the idea is that the For You tab would introduce people to relevant content that they might be interested in based on the interest they've expressed on Twitter, right? So it might not necessarily be accounts that you're following. There's a following tab for that. Mm -hmm. It's people that could be good accounts for you to follow down the road, I guess. And so first of all, I'd started hearing some buzz about this from some of my friends who had said that they actually really liked it and thought that it was a cool new feature. But the big news that just came out is that starting on April 15th, only paid Twitter subscribers will appear in the For You tab. So now not only are these people you follow or things that interest you, but probably just some random people whose only qualification is a willingness to pay for Twitter Blue. How do yeah. you feel about this, Mark? Have you been using the For You tab? And what do you think about this in general? I have not been using it that often. I typically use the following tab, but I, I do switch to the For You every once in a while just to change things up. But like, I haven't found the For You tab to actually be for me, for lack of a better word. Like, It just <laughs> seems like they're just throwing stuff in. This, though, is just another sign of the great unbundling of Twitter. Mm -hmm. We didn't really think it could be unbundled, right? It just seemed like a thing. And I guess, I don't know if it's going to work for Elon Musk, but he saw it as something else, clearly, that could be unbundled, like these verification blue badges, this For You tab, things that he can just get people to like potentially pay for. And yeah, like I don't know that it's going to work, but it is a strategy. And it's like this consistent inconsistency that Musk has had. Like it, it seems like it's all over the place, but it's right. You know, he's actually just kind of just finding these small things that he's going to try to charge people money for. Totally. So I, I think it's probably going to A, make the for you experience worse for like the common oh, Twitter user. To say the least. But I think B, I wouldn't be surprised if it like accelerates some creators' careers and audiences. They always talk about like yeah. finding pockets where there's like under leveraged attention, basically. So like LinkedIn used to be like a big underlevered platform for creators and then people went crazy on there. Now I feel like there aren't a lot of people that are paying for Twitter, but no. if they have the chance to be featured in front of all of these people on their for you tab, I think it could probably move the needle for some people. Yeah, nothing is a meritocracy as we know, but Twitter <laughs> is certainly not going to be one now because no you're just going to be able to pay to get in that for you. So yeah. All right. Let's move on now, Rob, real quick to a couple other small stories. There's big news in paints, which is probably the first time anyone has like ever said that. <laughs> <laughs> but the University of Central Florida had some scientists come up with something called plasmonic paint, and it reflects rather than absorbs infrared radiation. So it's going to be better for the environment, more or less. And some main use cases for it are, of course, large buildings, as well as airplanes. They say that using this paint could potentially remove around 1,000 pounds of weight from an airplane. That's insane. Yeah, which is good for the environment. So it could end up being a very good thing. Right now, of course, it's just, you know, at the very early stages, academic use, whether it can be used at scale, we'll have to find out much later. But yeah, like uh, Rob, you've mentioned you've done a bit of painting around your house. So perhaps you'll have some plasmonic in your future. We honestly should. So the last time that we painted was inside and it was a few years ago and all the buzz was around this Sherwin-Williams shade called Revere Pewter. It's basically this off gray color and you really haven't been down a rabbit hole until you've decided to paint the inside of your house and gone through like a million different shades of gray. It's it's really, truly crazy. And I think like what you just said, no matter what they go with when they bring this to scale, Gray needs to be the first color because that's what everybody uses. Everybody. 100%. Yeah, everybody. 
So Rob, let's talk a little bit about Amazon. You know, Rob, you shop on Amazon. I, oh, yeah. I shop on Amazon. I feel sometimes like a terrible person for it, you know, as most of us do. <laughs> but they do make it pretty easy to return things. You get usually at least 30 days after a purchase. And you could generally just put it in a box and take it over to Whole Foods. And it's relatively easy for the consumer, minus the fact that you have to, you know, drive somewhere or walk somewhere. But for Amazon, it's really not all that great. It usually costs them around $10 to $20 for processing a returned item. And then the freight can cost as much as 15 to 20% the cost wow. of the products. And so that's that's a kind of a lot, especially when you consider how often people return things. And I know that you return some things fairly often, yeah? I did exactly the process that you just outlined right there. I, literally last week, I ordered a new record player because we wanted one that has kind of like that modern vibe. And it turned out to not fit the table that we were going to put it on. And so I decided to return it. And you hit the nail on the head here. I think Amazon has made returns so easy. Their kind of ethos, I think, during the Bezos years was just to basically solve for the customer and to be like the most customer-focused company ever. And as a result, they've basically been subsidizing like poor shopping decisions for like a decade, right? Like they've made returns so freaking easy that when you buy something on Amazon, it doesn't even feel like you're actually buying it. It just feels like you're testing it out. Like bringing it to Whole Foods and not having to go get a box, not having to go to the post office, Mm -hmm. it makes it so much easier than returning something elsewhere. And honestly, like that's a big reason I continue to shop on Amazon. So it's going to be interesting to see how this actually changes their process with returns. Yeah, because I make returns fairly often as well. And, you know, I hope Amazon isn't listening. For Halloween, I bought something and sort of just took it out of the box and like semi-wore it and then returned it. You know what I mean? (laughs) So like, I feel like a lot of people do stuff like that. And that's clearly not great for Amazon, even though they are this behemoth. You know, it's interesting. The information found like a couple of items that have this frequently returned tag. One of those is a record player. Two of them were dresses. And they actually still had good customer reviews. And so I feel like that's something that really has tripped me off and probably a lot of consumers is that like no matter what, everything I see on Amazon has at least like four out of five stars and usually like 4.5 to 4.75. So like, how can I really tell? Like, and even when I look at like negative reviews, like it just really never gives you a sense of what that product is going to do. There are so many times that I get something and it's just really not that good. And so of course I take it back. And even with this sort of label affixed to it, I don't know. I'm not sure that I see it really having that big of a difference. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting because it's almost like they're calling out something that they used to treat as like a differentiator for themselves, right? It's like they're calling Mm -hmm. out, hey, people return this a lot. When back in the day, they were like, hey, return whatever you want. Like, it doesn't really matter. We're solving for the customer. But yeah, to your point, I think it's really rare that you come across a product on Amazon that's on kind of like the upper side of rankings. It's going to like show up in your search that yeah. doesn't have an amazing star average, right? It's it's going to have four or five stars most likely. And so it's going to be really hard to see those reviews unless you kind of go down and cherry pick, which I will do sometimes if it's a big enough purchase and really look into the reviews. But it's super interesting. And I, I really wonder if that record player that you mentioned is the one, the one that I bought. <laughs> I think the 
really big takeaway of all this is it's just part of like the new Amazon being like, we're serious and mm-hmm. we're not just gonna, you know, try to like get a bunch of customers anymore and not care about profits because they didn't have much of a profit in February as they released and their margins were really tight and it just was not a good look for them and they've had layoffs. So this is obviously just a way for them to, you know, make a little bit more money at the margin, which makes sense as a business decision. And what's interesting also to me is that Amazon is making this big announcement and it's going to probably save them some money in the long run. But like arguably the most work is going to be for the third party sellers, right? Right. And maybe it's some who who don't always have the highest quality of product, but but I think for some it's going to have to just force them to like maybe do more work to ensure that their items don't get returned and they get like, you know, kind of screwed if you will with this label totally. attached to their webpage on Amazon. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I think we've talked about Amazon quite a bit on this podcast. We've yes. talked a lot about Amazon Prime. And I think like if you look out at the subscription landscape, you're going to be hard pressed to find a consumer subscription that packs as much value as Amazon Prime. I would think a lot of Prime members are making a lot of returns. And I really wonder like what the economics of those subscribers look like at the end yeah. of the day when you factor that stuff in. I mean, they typically raise the price of Prime like every year for the last few years. So I wouldn't be surprised if it goes up again, but that seems like one way to kind of recoup some of these losses. They could raise Prime a decent amount. I don't think I would churn. I am pretty glued to Prime right now. Yeah, I'm getting close to churn point, honestly. Yeah? Uh, Yeah, yeah, because I've been trying to cut back a little bit on Amazon just to like leave my house for one thing. Love it. Um, (laughs) Things like that. Very true. Certainly the environmental costs associated with getting these items and returning them is, you know, another thing. You know, I'm conscious of that. And just the fact that it feels good to go to a store sometimes. Totally. So one thing I think a warning here for our listeners is that if you're not aware, you can get banned for returning too many items. I, uh, I really couldn't believe this. You know, there was a good Wall Street Journal story, I think a couple of years ago about this. And it was happening to people who had only returned like five items in a year. There was one person who was interviewed. He returned, I think, four one year and one the next year. And then randomly just got an email saying like, you can't use Amazon again. Don't try to create another account. That's crazy. But I get it. I totally get it. I wonder if I'm next on that list, Mark, because I did. I think I just told you I literally returned something last week and then I canceled an order about 15 minutes ago. Yeah. You're going to be on a no shop list pretty darn quickly. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor today is Robert Hartwig, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed, get yourself signed up at thehustle.co slash email. We will see you tomorrow. Hey, everybody. Let me tell you about this great podcast that's available right now. Creator Science, hosted by Jay Klaus, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, which is the audio destination for business professionals. Creator Science goes behind the scenes with today's top creators. Through narrative interviews, Jay Klaus explores how creators like Tim Urban, James Clear, Tori Dunlap, and Cody Sanchez are building their audiences today. And by learning how these creators make a living with their art and creativity, Creator Science can help you gain tools and confidence to do exactly the same. I was actually listening to an episode recently where Jay had on Dr. K, who is a Harvard psychiatrist. And Dr. K helps a lot of creators with 
performance, burnout, and dealing with a lot of negative feedback online. It's a great hour of conversation with Dr. K, where Dr. K really breaks down what it means to be a creator today and the burnout that a lot of creators do experience and what to do when you get that burnout, because you will. And you can listen to Creator Science wherever you get your podcasts, and I definitely suggest it. Listen to Creator Science wherever you get your podcasts. 